0: Online at KFUO.org.
1: All right, we are on Concord Matters today on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. And here on Concord Matters, you know what matters? The Lutheran confessions matter. And so that's what we will be talking about today. We'll be using the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House, the Reader's Edition. Uh, Go on cph.org, find it. uh, Just look up Reader's Edition, Book of Concord, you'll find it. And uh, get a copy for your home. Read it. Learn it. Confess it before the world around you. People need to hear this good truth. Proper law, proper gospel, good news. All right, I have a couple guests with me today. I have Pastor Adam Kuntz, who is coming back for a second time. He is from Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, and also Concordia Lutheran Mission in An- 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 Anville, Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome, Pastor Kuntz.
0: Hey, good afternoon. Great to be with you.
1: That's good. Glad to have you with us. And then also, I've got a, a new guest today, and that's Pastor Zelwyn Heide, uh, who's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, North
2: Dakota. Are you with us, Pastor Heidi? I am. Good to be here.
1: All right. Glad to have you both with us today. We are covering the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And so we can do this just like we do every other show here on Concord Matters. Paragraph by paragraph just reading through the confessions discussing what they mean and uh, Just kind of going with the flow and and learning from our confessions as they teach us As the faith from the scriptures is properly confessed in them And so we are covering this article 5 as it's called uh, in in the reader's edition Uh, Other editions of the book of Concord You'll probably find this under the article 4 of the uh, of the apology of the Augsburg Confession And so we're gonna start in paragraph 62 in the reader's edition which in other editions might be paragraph 183. So it all depends upon which editions and how they divide things up. Uh, but we'll be starting here in paragraph 62 of this. So we're talking uh, justification, and now we've moved into the fruit of justification that is uh, the nature of good works. So. If we listen to this, uh, I'll read a couple of paragraphs for us. We're gonna read paragraphs sixty two and sixty three, and then we'll discuss it. So here are paragraphs sixty two and sixty three of Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article five. Now, when the grounds of this case have been understood, the distinction between the law and the promises or the gospel, it will be easy to for they quote passages along the law and the works, and leave out passages about the promises. But a final reply can be made to all opinions about the law, namely, that the law cannot be kept without Christ, and that if civil works are done without Christ, they do not please God. Therefore, when works are commended, it is is necessary to add that faith is required. They are commended because of faith. They are the fruit and testimonies of faith. All right, Pastor Heidi. Uh, we'll start out with you today. Uh, here, you have a couple different things being brought up. First of all, let's discuss this. Uh, this very first sentence. it talks about the distinction between the law and the promises or the gospel. We've discussed in previous shows about the Roman Catholic understanding of salvation. That is, you know, the works are what will then prove, or the works will then justify you. Versus in the Lutheran uh, beliefs, which is the Scriptures beliefs, you know, you're justified, and then the works follow afterwards. Um, What's this thing about distinguishing between law and gospel?
2: Well, thanks. Uh, Distinguishing between law and gospel, I think, in the most basic sense, is trying to keep straight how it is that we are actually saved. Because if we confuse the two, we end up putting uh, the law in a place where it should not be, which is what Melanchthon here is continuously talking about um, against his opponents, against the Roman Catholics here. Um, if we end up putting the law into how we are saved, how we are actually saved, we end up making our own selves as the basis of our salvation. In other words, our own good works are somehow going to save us. Our own good works are somehow going to make us righteous before God. But, the, but keeping those two distinct, keeping the law apart, um, and making sure that it shows us that we are not saved by our works then helps us to keep the gospel clear, uh, which says that we are saved because of what Jesus Christ has done for us.
1: Excellent. Pastor Kuntz, how about you? I mean, this long gospel stuff maybe is a little foreign to some of our listeners. Lutherans, of course, kind of have heard this. They've learned it back in confirmation classes and so forth. Uh, But we as Lutherans, I mean, this is... This is really our thing. I mean, it's it's not ours in that, I mean, Jesus does this, the prophets do this, Paul does this, but really in church history, for a long time, this had been forgotten, and Lutherans kind of rediscover this. So can we explain a little bit more historically into this as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, Lutheranism is simply Bible Christianity, so this distinction is not unfamiliar in substance to any Christian, I think. I think it's simply unfamiliar terminologically to Christians. The historical reason that it has such a prominent role in uh, Lutheranism and in the Lutheran Confessions is something you can see just in this section of the Apology, if you have that open, and you see that all the citations are from Paul. I mean, almost all of them. I want to say 90% in this section. And the reason for that is because the Lutheran Reformation and Luther himself particularly recovered uh, the freshness and the urgency of Paul's. Teaching in the scriptures um, in a way that Paul had not been used, um, and an extent that he had not been appropriated, uh, probably in the Middle Ages and maybe even stretching back into the era of the church fathers. So we focus on this um, so specifically, and it, because it became such a live issue when we began to read Paul, and we found him talking about the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of the Spirit. and the law is not of faith and we said what do these things mean you know what does he mean by gospel and the answers that we came up with are expressed i think succinctly by saying that there is a distinction between the law and the promises that the law does one thing and the promises of god do another
1: Yeah, and in fact uh, this kind of discussion about paul has happened again over the last fifteen or so years there has been different folks quoting quote unquote new perspective on paul which uh... really is again going back to uh, really wrong headed, uh, readings of Paul that, uh, yeah, don't take the actual words into consideration. Uh, in fact, you know, you have this long gospel distinction and, and this is just the best way to understand scripture. And this is the way that scripture should be interpreted because this is the way that it actually, uh, begins to make sense to an individual's conscience and to their salvation. And so this is by far law and gospel is by far the best paradigm, the best tool, the best way to look at the scriptures, and it's just a great gift for the church from those scriptures. And so, so you get into this now. The, the Roman Catholics, they, you know, they they quote passages about the law, uh, but they leave out the passages about the promises. So, so. So, what is this? I mean, Pastor Heidi. I mean, how are how are the Roman Catholics trying to prove salvation when they when they seek out to prove salvation? What are they going to be using?
2: Well, and I and I think this is why it's so important here to note that uh, Melanchthon here very quickly turns to talking about uh, the distinction between uh, actual godly righteousness and the distinction of what he calls civil righteousness or civil works. In this case. Um, because if you're looking at it in terms of civil works, as, and saying that those works somehow in themselves are pleasing to God, um, that's ultimately where the problem comes in, because we're looking at these works apart from Christ. We're looking at the law apart from faith. Um, and when we look at the law apart from faith, you, I mean, the sinful man very naturally comes to the conclusion that he can actually do something. And so even if you want to talk about uh, the technical terms in Roman Catholicism, like infused grace, where somehow Jesus gives us a booster shot that gets us going down the path that, that we need to go, it ultimately becomes about what we are doing. And that's, and that's I think, the great difficulty that Melanchthon is fighting against here. And so when they look at these passages in that actually quote the law, they're doing it apart from Christ. Yeah. In
1: fact, I mean, you see here in paragraph 63, it says, you know, the, the, the law cannot be kept without Christ. And if they do civil works uh, are done without Christ, they do not please God. So, Pastor Kuntz, what's absolutely necessary in order to please God?
0: Uh, repentance and faith. I mean, it's summed up in the, in the preaching of John the Baptist and of Jesus when they say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, we need to despair of our own works and trust in the works of Christ for us. That is absolutely necessary, and that is everywhere in Scripture if a person only bothers to look.
1: Excellent Now I want to dig just a little bit into this because you know it talks about civil works are done without Christ all right so so we we speak about you know how faith is what is required, faith in Christ is what is required for good works in god's eyes and we we have a lutheran doctrine of the bound will and so forth in regards to spiritual things but perhaps we need to make the distinction here so the listeners know that you know human beings are still free to do good in the civil realm this this kind of earthly temporal realm the the kind of stuff you know that you see your neighbors doing around home and, and and their neighborhoods and communities and and citizens for the government and so forth. And this, of course, is confessed in the formula of Concord, which Concord matters will get to probably in, you know, like three years. Um, <laughs> but but it is a very important thing for our listeners to realize is that, you know, we Lutherans talk about being bound, but yet there is a bit of free will, not in regards to spiritual things, not in regards to salvation, not in regards to that stuff, but in regards to these civil works, that that even a fallen human can do civilly uh decent works now they're not pleasing to god uh there's no faith in jesus there's it's not pleasing to god but that they can do this and i think that's a distinction that we often forget about when we start talking about works as people start thinking you know oh well we're bound to this and the the corruption of the original of this of of the fall original sin has taken its toll so we can't do this well in the earthly temporal realm our confessions do talk about how there are uh, there is a free will to do these kind of things this is you know this is why you can get up in the morning and you don't have to uh, pray to god what what which pair of socks you have to put on Uh, you know you have some freedom there uh, to use in that way Uh, and of course you know freedom to pick jobs and things like that and all these other good on good good gifts of god that are just for this life so all right so these works are commended and it's necessary to add that faith is required and then they are commended because of faith, you know. In, in the book of Hebrews, it says, you know, that that without faith it is impossible to please Him. Now, Pastor, uh, I think I'm up. To, Pastor Heidi, I think I'm with you. Um, yep. In, in going through the rotation here, uh, how 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 does? How do we get around that? If, if if you're a Roman Catholic and and you truly believe that you know your works are what earns God's favor and grace and then it bumps you to the next level and you can keep working harder and so forth, how do you, how do you deal with verses like you know without faith it's impossible to please God?
2: Well, I think I think the thing that I alluded to earlier, at least in Roman Catholic theology, they'll talk about infused grace. This idea that. Um, Jesus or the Holy Spirit somehow gives us this uh, tangible amount of this thing we call grace, and that somehow makes it so that we are able to do these good works. And so I think the way that they try to get around uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. They say, well, sure, that's true, but you know it's it's only the beginning of the process. And so you have to see it as this sort of uh, starting point after which you now have to take over. And so that that grace and that righteousness uh, somehow becomes uh, more more yours, if that makes any sense.
1: So it, it ends up being kind of a faith plus something.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's just not what the scriptures say. So, all right. Let's move on to paragraphs 64 through 67, and I'll, I'll read that now. It's a little longer section, but uh, they kind of need to be dealt with together. So here we have paragraph 64. Ambiguous and dangerous cases produce many and various solutions. For the judgment of the ancient poet is true. An unjust cause, being in itself sick, requires skillfully applied remedies. In just and sure cases, one or two explanations derived from the sources correct all things that seem to offend. This happens also in our case here. For the rule I have just quoted explains all the passages that are quoted about the law and works. We acknowledge that scripture teaches the law in some places and the gospel in other places, i.e. the free promise of forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. But our adversaries absolutely abolish the free promise when they deny that faith justifies and when they teach that we receive forgiveness of sins and reconciliation because of love and our works. If forgiveness of sins depends on our works, it is completely uncertain. The promise will be abolished. Therefore, we tell godly minds to consider the promises, and we teach about free forgiveness of sins and about reconciliation, which happens through faith in Christ. Afterward, we add also the teaching of the law. It is necessary to distinguish these things aright, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15. We must see that what Scripture says about the law and what it says about the promises for it praises works in such a way that it does not remove the free promise. All right, so we are looking here. Paragraph 64, we'll start out. Uh, Pastor Kuntz, what's this uh, talk about these ambiguous, dangerous cases, kind of talking more in lines of this kind of the the complexity of the Roman Catholic theologi- uh, theological system and so forth versus, you know, in in these simple cases... Uh, all it takes is one or two explanations and 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 all things are sed- settled as far as the simplicity yeah, kind I, of like a long I gospel think thing
0: melanchthon is beginning to defend his own verbosity as he is going to go on at great length about the distinction between faith and works or the relationship between justification and sanctification so what he's saying is that where something is not controversial for instance the idea that christians should obey duly constituted authority Uh, was not controversial at the time, so no one's contesting that. I can just cite Romans 13 and move on with my life. Um, Here he's saying this is very difficult because there is so much falsehood out there, and this is so essential for Christian life, for Christians to understand uh, the ground of their certainty of salvation through Christ, that he's going to have to be very careful about what he says, and then in 65 through 67, he's laying out, you know, in a preliminary fashion, uh, how Scripture neither abolishes the law nor does it abolish the gospel um, so that it can maintain works without uh, compromising the promise of salvation through Christ. So um, he's basically just setting up the lengths to which he will go to express clearly what Scripture says.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And then you, you have this in paragraph 65, you know, Scripture teaches the law in some places in the gospel in other places. You know, Pastor Heidi, you know, you obviously, you, you catechize and so forth, you teach your members, you teach your youth. Uh, how how are you teaching them this? I mean, how how is it we'd go about, I mean, if, if someone's listening in today and they want to find out, okay, how do I read the Bible? Maybe they've been reading the Bible for years, and it just, it sounds so confusing at times. And man, you know, the prophet really lays into people here, but then here he's talking about, you know, uh, rejoice and be blessed, and so forth. How do we do this? I mean, well, how would you teach them?
2: Sure. Um, I think the most basic way uh, to start out with that is, as you as you point out, sometimes it seems like the Bible is speaking uh, in very harsh ways. Um, we think you know, this happens very often with the prophets. They will speak of the coming destruction of Jerusalem, and we can say, you know, how how can this accord with other passages of the Bible which will say, like, you know, God is love. You know, how do these two things fit together? And so if we don't approach it with a clear understanding of what it means to have the law and what it means to have the gospel, uh, we're just going to see those things as something that are just not in harmony with one another. And so we might come up with all kinds of strange ideas about who this God is. Uh, and so the first thing I think we need to point out is that, yes, God does clearly proclaim His law, in certain passages in Scripture, and when he proclaims that law, um, we recognize it for being, you know, uh, you, you could call it the uh, uh, who we are as sinners, and uh, the coming judgment which he's going to have because he is holy, because he's vindictive or whatever um, terms uh, an unbeliever might heap upon him, but because he is the all-holy God. And because he is the all-holy God, he cannot abide sin but that doesn't mean that um he's just going to wipe us away as he justly could but rather he sends us his son jesus christ as the gospel uh to forgive us our sins
1: and so we start with that understanding and then we move into the scriptures with that understanding so so then we learn you know mm-hmm. from the law of what we should do and what we shouldn't do and and how god would have us act uh, towards him and towards our neighbors but yeah, and then of course, you know, when when those things rouse up the conscience, which it will, because you don't do what the law says. Um, there's, those work, and of course, Pastor Kuntz, which is which is God's preferred word? I mean, they're both words of God, correct? I mean, we can say both law and gospel are God's, correct?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Which is his? Which is his main chief uh, work, rather than maybe like his alien work or something
0: like that. Yeah, the term alien work is taken from the prophet Isaiah, and it's used to describe uh, the work, which is sometimes also described as his strange work, meaning that he uh, uses the law but does not delight to crush. Um, His delight is that uh, people should believe in him, and they can believe only through hearing the Gospel. So uh, the law is described as his alien work by which stony hearts are crushed, and then the gospel um, is his, his end goal, you might say, in bringing people to faith in Christ. Um, you know, we know that he, he delights to see sinners repent, so uh, that happens through law and then also through the gospel
1: excellent and so they're both works of god however and this is something we we have to remind ourselves of because as as pastor heidi was talking about you know when you start reading the scriptures and it it gets confusing you start maybe kind of coming up with different ways to deal with these statements and some of the ways can get really tricky like uh, you can have well the old testament that's all law and the new testament that's all gospel or or you can even do it from what an early church heresy did was you know there's a different god in the old testament than there is in the new Um, that, that there's different, you know, heresies that have arisen out of this attempt to try to make sense of scripture when it, it is only just a matter of understanding law and gospel and how God is speaking, uh, to his people, how he's revealing it. Similarly, we, we even today, we have the temptation because the, the law speaks to us that, you know, uh, convicts us of our sins, uh, makes us feel guilty. You know, of course, in our culture, feeling guilty is bad. So of course then well then is the law bad? Well no it, it it's God's. I mean how can it be bad? It's from him. Uh and of course it's not bad. Uh but you know the temptations are always there and especially when we get confused reading through the scriptures and especially when the scriptures do their work on us and the law works on us and, and makes our conscience stricken and so forth. Uh so these are great things to keep distinguished uh in 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 all of this. Um I just want to um, M- mention here you know the the final statement pastor heidi um this the roman catholics when they abolish the p- promise so what because they're relying on the law for their salvation works faith plus whatever it is you know uh, mm-hmm. they then deny the free promise uh so so long gospel are always related to each other they're, they interact
2: yeah absolutely and this is actually something i was hoping to to bring up in a little bit more detail here too Um, We can save
1: the detail for after our break, but why don't you introduce it right now?
2: Okay. (laughs) Yes, they are absolutely closely related, and they can never be apart from one another, because I think the tendency that we have, either within Roman Catholicism or even within our own circles, is to so sharply divide the two that we eventually see, especially the law, as almost being completely unnecessary. Um, And I think it'd be good to talk about that. Um, after the break
1: yeah i think that's i think that's a great idea is, is to sit there and discuss the purpose of the law and of course we're going to find that out i mean even in the next chat, in the next paragraph we're going to find out the purpose of good works uh you know why do we do them for what reason does god give them to us where do we do them uh how are they done how do we know what is a good work um all these things are coming up in the next coming paragraphs and it all relates to this law which god has given Uh, which, yes, it convicts us of our sins, but that's why we have the promises, to to give us the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. So we're going to join you, and we're going to go deeper into this after our break, and we're going to take that break right now. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We'll catch up with you after a few minutes.
2: Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.
1: In the hectic rush of this life, it's not always easy to catch your breath, sit down with the Holy Scriptures, and meditate on your Lord's words. With all the demands on your time, how do you fit in His time? That's why we broadcast His Time every weekday morning here on KFUO. Beginning with the dawn, we bring His Time to you with Scripture, devotion, prayer, and comfort to help you be still and know that He
0: is God, even while stuck in traffic. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. Your second look could be their second chance.
2: Of the four adult instruction classes being run right now at Trinity Lutheran Orchard Farm, one of the members gave me a sheet of questions that I found very interesting. On the next Law and Gospel Insight Wednesday, we'll go over those questions because they are of interest to you. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO.
0: The Augsburg Confession of 1530 defined the theological beliefs of Martin Luther, becoming one of the most important documents of the Protestant Reformation. And 300 years later, on the anniversary of that historic document, Felix Mendelssohn celebrated this Reformation milestone in what became known as Mendelssohn's Fifth Symphony.
2: A symphony inspired by Martin Luther's famed Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The powerful symphonic presentation, including a finale with the entire orchestra, underscores the unmistakable mighty of Luther's hymn. Mendelssohn's Fifth Symphony wasn't published until 1868, years after his death. Although the symphony is not played often today, it shows the enduring legacy of Martin Luther's iconic hymn based on Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble.
1: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. welcome back to concord matters uh this week i am your host pastor joshua sheer senior pastor our savior lutheran church here in cheyenne wyoming coming to you from cheyenne wyoming i am joined by two guests today pastor adam kuntz who's pastor of mount calvary lutheran church in lidditz pennsylvania as well as concordia lutheran mission in anville pennsylvania as well as pastor zelwin heidi who's who's pastor of redeemer lutheran church in grassy butte north dakota uh, we left off the break, uh, Pastor Heidi, uh, with you uh, discussing something that introducing something that you wanted to discuss more in depth uh, about the law. So I'll hand it over to you, Pastor Heidi, why don't you go more in depth?
2: Sounds great. Um, one thing that I would I'd draw attention to if anyone has their uh, book, has a book of Concord in front of them is in, in paragraph 67 here in the Apology uh, Article 5. Um, we have a melanchthon statement afterward, we add also the teaching of the law. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I think many times in our own, um, especially in our own circles, we see this law-gospel distinction, which is extremely important, as being somehow a, you start with the law, you convict them, and then when you've convicted them, then you go only to the gospel, uh, or you go to the gospel, you comfort them with the gospel, and then that's the end of the sermon. But when you do that, um, then some other things in the, the Bible start to make a little less sense, because how can Paul, for example, close his letters with all sorts of exhortations, which we would probably classify as the law? You know, So the, the law is not there just to say um, you're a sinner, which it absolutely does and which it does perfectly. Um, but it's also there to show us, uh, for those who have faith, uh, the, the, you know, what kind of good works now are pleasing to God. So good works are not um, useless, as we might view them. They're, they're, they don't do anything in terms of our salvation, but good works are something which flow forth from this faith. And so that's why it says that, uh, I, we haven't read it yet, but I'll just read just a little bit in, pa- in paragraph 68, good works are to be done because of God's command and for the exercise of faith
1: yeah the whole point of good works absolutely so just going back here real quick to paragraph 66 you know if forgiveness of sins depends on our works it is completely uncertain uh, the promise will be abolished uh, the hope the whole point of all of this stuff whether we're talking about the law good works anything else is to of course preserve the pure gospel that's why they're taking such pains to do all these distinguish, uh, distinguishing things, uh, noting little things, all the little minutiae that they've discussed so far in the Apology, and then, of course, what they will discuss in the coming paragraphs. Um, uh, this, this, this beauty that is in the Lutheran Confessions. And so this is why shows like Concord Matters exist, because you know what? The Lutheran Confessions, if you just hear about it, and you hear somebody maybe talking about it, you might just get the sense that this is this giant book of doctrinal assertions and it's a textbook and it's academic and so forth and you know yeah it's a book that pastors and professional theologians study and so forth Uh, but here's a prime evidence of the fact that the, the Lutheran confessions are not those things I mean yes you can use it as an academic textbook but yes it does make doctrinal assertions but the Lutheran confessions are chiefly concerned with the care of your conscience the care of your soul to make sure that you understand the the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, that is the forgiveness of your sins. And so, so Pastor Kunz, can you can you just kind of expand a little bit about this? The whole purpose of these Lutheran confessions, and why would we study them, and why would we have our pastors teach them in our in our Bible studies, and why would we, you know, have radio shows about them?
0: Yeah, um, and this can also, I think, be particularly confusing to non-Lutherans. I think I know that it is when people come to my congregation from other Christian confessions, and they wonder, why do you have this whole, you know, quote, extra book besides the Bible? And I think that it's important to be clear that it simply restates what Scripture says. and So it's concerned about consciences, because Scripture is concerned about consciences. If Scripture were not, it would not fall into this distinction between law and gospel, it would simply give you commands like every other so-called holy book in the world does. It would just tell you what to do, and then you do it, and that would fix it, right? But because it understands human conscience as well, uh, Scripture condemns um, sinners who would be saved by their own works, and saves them through faith in Christ, and then teaches them how to live a God-pleasing life according to God's commandments. So. Um, it knows about consciences and it cares about conscience, and so the confessions, which restate it in terms specific to their times for the necessity of confession, the confessions are concerned about conscience, too. So that's why we read it, so that we understand and don't have to you know, go back all through these debates in every generation, because some things are settled in the same way that uh, the creed, the ecumenical creed, settle the doctrine of the Trinity for the Orthodox Church. Uh, so also the Lutheran Confessions settle most particularly the doctrine of salvation for the Orthodox Church. This is what Orthodox Christians believe about salvation on the basis of Scripture.
1: Excellent. And that's the whole point and purpose of it. So this is why we study it, and this is why we learn it. And then this is why, uh, as 67 goes on and says, you know, uh, talking about this difference between law and gospel and so forth, it, quite, it quotes Paul in Second 2 Timothy 2:15, which is the which is the verse where Paul says, you know, rightly handling the word of God or rightly distinguishing or rightly dividing the word of God, uh, referring to this law and promises, this law and gospel stuff. Uh, so let's move into paragraph um, uh, paragraph 68. Let's just read that one first, and we'll get into that. Good works are to be done because of God's command and for the exercise of faith, confessing the faith and giving thanks. Good works must be done for these reasons. They are done in the flesh, which is not as yet entirely renewed. The flesh hinders the Holy Spirit's motives and adds some of its uncleanness to the works. Yet because of Christ, they are holy, divine works, sacrifices and acts belonging to the rule of Christ, who in this way displays his kingdom before this world for in these works he sanctifies hearts and represses the devil. In order to retain the gospel among people, he openly sets the confession of saints against the kingdom of the devil, and in our weakness declares his power. All right, we'll pause right there. All right, Pastor Heidi, you mentioned this a little bit before. Uh, Good works. Why do we do them? What's the
2: point? We do good works because we believe in God. I mean, that's that's really, I think, the most basic way to put it. Um, good works are not our end of the bargain, like Jesus saves us, so now we got to show, um, we got to make up the rest, or we have to do something special. We do good works because we love God. And uh, when we love God, um, these things will just come about. Um, they, uh, this is why we can always uh, turn to James, uh, and with that statement, you know, faith without works is dead. Uh, which is absolutely true, because um, if we have uh, works, um, then how can we say that our faith is alive? Um, so faith is not just a, a dead thing or just saying that, oh, well, you know, I know that Jesus did, in some intel- uh, did all these things in some intellectual sense, but it is this living trust which then shows itself uh, in uh, displays of that trust.
1: So it's as I think Luther said this, you know, faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. I mean, just it naturally just produces these kind of works because God's commanded them. Faith in God, uh, you know, you're regenerate, you're renewed, uh, you have a new man uh, created in, in baptism that just wants to do what God wants, and so it does it. Um, exercise of faith, so to speak. Uh, and then, of course, you know, it says confessing the faith and giving thanks. Um, so both things there. Um, so good works must be done for these reasons. Um, now that's, that's why we do the works. Now, now, Pastor Kuntz, what is it confessing here in in paragraph 68? Where are these works done?
0: Uh, you cut out for me there. uh,
1: Oh, I was just, uh, where are these works done? When we talk in paragraph 68 here, you know, where are these good works done?
0: Yeah, these are done in everyday life. Um, and they're done, um, by Christians, uh, and I, I think that the point that Melanchthon makes is kind of a startling one. It's kind of fascinating. He says that um, through these holy divine works, sacrifices, and acts, um, Christ thus displays his kingdom before this world so that um, in Christians, um, and this is really a fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer, um, that his kingdom would come also among us. Uh, through the good works of Christians, Christ's reign upon earth, begun even now, is displayed.
1: That's, that's most excellent to think about, that this is, I mean, so really, I mean, still even, you know, the Christian doesn't really get a chance to claim these as his own so much as this is Christ working through them. And, you know, they're they're cooperating with the Holy Spirit as this happens. Uh, but, you know, of course, as it says, you know, that these are done in the flesh, which means it's not fully renewed, uh, which means it has a sinful nature. And that, of course, means that, yeah, it's going to trip up the Holy Spirit at times, and, and it's certainly going to put its own fingerprint on these good works, uh, but yet Christ does this, that um, he, he's so chosen to, to, to display his rule through these works. Is, yeah, and fruit. he's
0: got these great verbs in 68. He sanctifies hearts, represses the devil, and openly opposes to the kingdom of the devil the confession of saints, and in our weakness declares his power. I mean, it's, it's, it's just magnificent language, and it shows how... Um, christ is glorified in our works we are not but he is in the life of christians who are obeying him and confessing him before the world
1: yeah and this is this is great to be reminded a little bit of the historical context And that uh you know the roman catholics had kind of confessed against the lutherans that you know you guys aren't ever concerned about good works you guys don't you don't exhort your people to good works you don't teach them good works And in, in, in the place, you know, here's Melanchthon utterly saying these works are just great and glorious things that, that Christ is using to sanctify and to also defeat the devil and, and these wonderful things, and, and of course, disproving the, the Roman Catholic assertion. Uh, this is the same way that, you know, maybe you run into different folks today that talk about, you know, good works don't matter, uh, you know, who cares, you know, they, they can be, you know... I mean some people even saying you know good works can get in the way because you know you'll be tempted to trust them for your salvation so don't worry about them get don't don't focus on them at all and that's that's not what Melanchthon's doing here he's extolling them as a great fruit of faith and 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 the work of God that uh, that they are and so this is a wonderful blessed thing uh, for us to be given these and, and what a wonderful thing that God would so so do this um, and so it would so bring this confession
2: it might be also worthwhile to point out here, uh, when we talk about exhortation and actually exhorting Christians to do good works, um, that we have here Christ and the Holy Spirit engaging the whole man, okay? Um, sometimes I think we get this temptation to think that uh, because Christ is the one who's doing it, therefore we just kind of have to—I um, don't, I don't, I don't know how to put it the best way without sounding like I'm saying the wrong thing—just uh, kind of sit there and then that's just kind of what happens. Um, But rather this this recognition that... Go ahead.
1: Like Jesus take the wheel?
2: Yeah, like Jesus take the wheel, or God (laughs) is my co-pilot, or something like this. Let go Um,
0: and let God. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Let go, yeah. Um, And so when when Paul, for example, goes into his exhortations, he is exhorting uh, the renewed will of the Christian, and so we can... Uh, actually exhort Christians to do things because now they have in Christ and through Christ alone by faith, um, the, that renewed will so that they will actually strive after these things. They will actually go after what it is that God wants. And so that well, then when you get passages, uh, like I think, what is it, Philippians, you know, stri- um, uh, striving for the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus, um, this language of movement is not something that is somehow bad but rather paul calls for for us to to uh imitate him because now we are striving after what god wants because we have faith i that's think a, that's the important thing
1: that's a great point to bring up because that's that's the next two paragraphs you're going to get into that the the example of the good works of those who have come before us and how they they encourage us and, and we should be encouraged to imitate this. So let's read paragraphs 69 and 70. Consider the dangers, labors, and sermons of the Apostle Paul, of Athanasius, Augustine, and the rest who taught the churches. These deeds are holy works and true sacrifices acceptable to God. They are Christ's battles through which he repressed the devil and drove him away from those who believed. David's labors in waging wars and in his home government are holy works, true sacrifices and battles fought by God. They defend the people who who had God's word against the devil, in order that the knowledge of God might not be entirely extinguished on earth. So here you have both kingdoms. You have the church and the state, so to speak, or you have the, the left and right-hand kingdoms, as Lutherans would talk about them, and you have these good works that are both, these holy works, true sacrifices, uh, and through which uh, Christ battles. Um, so battles fought by god all right pastor heidi you want you want to talk a little bit about this this these these deeds of the saints and, and and good works and we'll start with the churchly ones the ones of paul athanasius augustine and so forth
2: sure yeah um lutherans have always fed against um this idea of the roman catholics that the saints have somehow you know give us their good works or their merit as as language as Uh, and that will somehow cover over our own inadequacies. Uh, We say, no, that's not the purpose of looking to the saints. The purpose of looking to the saints is exactly so that we can see what God has done um, through these Christians, and so that we would have something to strive after. And so Paul, for example, suffering uh, greatly for the sake of the Gospel, uh, would give us a, a godly example Of what it means to actually suffer on behalf of Christ. Um, And then, of course, you have uh, Athanasius, who, if I'm not mistaken, was exiled like uh, like three or four times in his life. Um, Augustine fought against (laughs) virtually everybody um, during the Donatist heresies and all that sort of thing. Um, And so we can see through these men, through these holy saints um, and women, that we have a God who is still with us, and as he was faithful to them, even in the midst of their circumstances, so also he's going to be faithful to us, even if we don't always know how to move forward.
1: Excellent. Pastor Kuntz, now we move into paragraph 70, and, and now we switch kingdoms. We're now to King David, and he's using government and warfare to protect God's people, which is the purpose of government, uh, is to serve the Christian uh, people, the church. Um uh, Can you explain some more of this, about, you know, how this is now a holy work and and sacrifice acceptable to God, where God wages war?
0: Yeah, um, this is, I think, very much counterintuitive to Americans, um, simply because it's not the form of government that we have had for a very long time, since colonial times. But um, the teaching is all over the Confessions, as it is over Scripture, that um, it is a holy work for the government to punish evil, and uh, to reward the good, and to protect God's word and its course and its welfare in this world, and that's exactly what David does. Um, if David does not fight and fight for his people, uh, then God's word is extinguished with them. So um, he wages war against the Philistines. He is successful against all his foes um, for the sake of God's kingdom on earth. Um, And so his works are also truly holy sacrifices. That's obviously a very different calling in life than uh, the preachers, Paul and uh, Athanasius and Augustine, but nonetheless, his works are holy because they are done in the fear of God within his calling.
1: Excellent. And so, you know, we've covered these big, huge pastor theologians of church, you know, these great fathers of church history. And now, we, of course, have spoken about great rulers, King David and so forth, uh, in history. But, you know, what about the rest of us who, you know, we're never going to rise to these levels. We're just kind of common folk who, who, who do what we're given and, and so forth. So let's read paragraph 71. We think this way also about every good work in the humblest callings and in private affairs. Through these works, Christ celebrates his victory over the devil. Just as the distribution of alms by the Corinthians was a holy work, a sacrifice, and battle of Christ against the devil, who labors so that nothing may be done to praise God. So you see the purpose of the devil, they're making sure nothing's done to praise God. Uh, Pastor Heidi, you want to just give a comment about this, you know, this understanding. Uh, Lutherans sometimes call it vocation, things like that. Uh, but just this kind of understanding about our good works, just where we're at.
2: Yeah, and I think I think you set it up pretty nicely because sometimes you have uh, the big saints, as you might call them, um, you know, dealing with like Augustine or you know Athanasius or or the civil ones and David. And we say, okay, well that's well and good, but I'm not really in control of a state, you know, I'm not actually actively battling heretics or something like that. So what about me? Um, but the point is, is that we have here, even in the most humble of callings. Um, The the, the calling to do good works uh, in Christ, that Christ actually works through us and He uses the example of the uh, the collection taken up uh, by the Corinthians uh, for the sake of Jerusalem, and so that we can see in that collection, um, which seems so very minor when it is compared with something like battling the Philistines, for example, uh, that this is still very much a pleasing work to God, uh, because it is done in faith, because it is done uh, according to his will. And so we don't want to think that um, just because the work is bigger uh, in some way that somehow the little works no longer matter. No, they're they're all important because they are all done in the fear of the living God.
1: And, you know, through these works, Christ celebrates his victory over the devil. So tonight as the as the, 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 the dad sits down with his children and, and he prays the, the table prayer... And, and maybe you know recites the creed with his children, uh, grabs the children's Bible off the off the shelf and reads them a Bible story before bed. Uh, you know, maybe teaches them the catechism a little bit, goes through the Ten Commandments with them or something. That these simple, humble things, which of course no newspaper is going to write a headline about, and no TV news are going to take it up and give it all kinds of publicity. Uh, but this is truly a, a great and holy sacrifice in which a, a battle in which God is is proclaiming His victory. Uh, just wonderful stuff. Same same thing goes for mothers, uh, the wife who who serves her husband and helps him out, um, you know, helps take care of the home while he's out working or something like that. Just the wonderful greatness of these common, ordinary things that are good works. And of course, this would be counter to a lot of Roman Catholic theology at the time, especially of the Reformation, where, you know, what if you wanted to be really good and you wanted to be really pious and you wanted to be really and holy and acceptable to God. You you forsake all those common things, and you go off and you do special things, and and of course this is totally contrary to that because of course the scriptures teach totally contrary that the Ten Commandments set up all these wonderful, wonderful good works, and they're based in just common ordinary life, and so as those people listening on you know I, the drudgery of your common and ordinary life is a gift from God, and, and as you do good in it, guess what this is this is Christ celebrating His victory over the devil that you can that you can do these good things for your neighbor um so this is this is great stuff let's read paragraph 72 to demean such works the confession of doctrine sufferings works of love suppression of the flesh would be to demean the outward rule of christ's kingdom among people all right pastor kunz this happens quite often even still today even amongst lutherans uh that that they will kind of almost Uh, denigrate uh, demean mock uh uh make fun of make light of good works um what what do we got to say about this i mean this is very clearly right here in our confession
0: yeah i think that you could track this down to maybe two impulses uh among others uh maybe you guys could think of other impulses i think one is a uh poorly trained Lutheran reflex which thinks works equals bad and gospel equals good and that is not true in every case works are necessary for raising children and governing nations and steering ships and building buildings um, the gospel will not make me a good architect or a good father in that way um, I need to I need to know what works I ought to do and the Augsburg Confession is very clear that they teach these things clearly and practically. Um, but there's, there's a modern Lutheran impulse which rejects those notions, and I think it rejects them for a deeper impulse, which is a kind of capitulation to secularism. Um, we think on some basic instinctive level that life is not under God's government, and the details of our lives, what we watch, how we spend our time, what we think about... Um, all those sorts of things are somehow not under God's government, and so he really doesn't care, and uh, it really doesn't matter anyway because those works don't save me, right? So how do they even matter? So I think that there's, I think, if you want to put it in clearer theological terms, we have massive confusion about what the point of a human life is. We have massive confusion about what we were created for, and so we end up bleeding the article on justification into everything, Um, and we therefore fail to confess what the Scripture confesses. Pastor Heidi talked about how it makes us unable to talk about exhortation. I think it makes us also unable to withstand some of the assaults on the created orders of marriage and the family and the state that we see in our society today, simply because we're unable, almost seemingly to say anything except you're not saved by your works. Um, scripture confesses a lot else, and we should be able to do so as well.
1: Thank you. That's excellent. Um, I, always, always be mindful of this. The Lutheran confessions are not a reaction against anything. And so if you find yourself uh, saying things a lot of times in reaction, it, or being a part of a movement that's kind of a reaction to something, ten, tendency is you're not maybe staying close to the confessions. Uh, they just confess. And, and so here, uh, one of the things I just wanna draw out real quick, we only have a, about a minute and a half left, is just to, to listen to the listeners. Notice here, the confessions say that the confession of doctrine, that is teachings of scripture, is a good work. Now, if you've studied the second commandment, you know this, but uh, this is common problem. People mock, oh, you're just doctrine, 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 doctrine. Well, no, the confessions speak this way because it's a good and holy work before God. It's part of hallowing God's name it's part of letting his kingdom come uh, and so forth. Uh, so these are good works. And so hopefully today you've had a chance to listen to this, start to get a sense of this law and gospel distinction we have as Lutherans, this beautiful thing that makes the scriptures clear to us and and understandable and, and clears up a lot of the confusion, but then also this beauty of believing in Jesus, the gospel, the promises, and how this just brings forth fruit of works and how we learn about good works through learning the law and having it spoken to us and being exhorted to good works and so forth so guess what tonight as you do your common things realize that you know as a christian god is doing good and this is a wonderful thing defeating the devil uh dads take care of your households uh, go on to church this sunday hear the gospel law and the promises just for you